You're listening to The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Just wanted to drop a quick word that we have some really cool t-shirts and other merch for sale that help support the podcast and make you look really, really cool. Check them out at parkingcast.com slash swag or click the link in the show notes. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by Vade. Vade helps cities understand and manage the curb by measuring when, where, and why it's used with wireless cameras and computer vision. Vade powers data-driven decisions that reduce congestion, improve pedestrian and bicycle safety, and better serve today's demand. Learn more at vade.ai. The Parking Podcast is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association for professionals in parking, mobility, and transportation. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Welcome back to another episode of the Parking Podcast. With us today is Henry Grabar, author of the wonderful new book on parking, Pave Paradise, How Parking Explains the World. How are you doing today, Henry? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, man. You've been everywhere. Tell us uh, the experience of uh, all the different interviews and how's the book doing on the charts and just kind of what's the last uh, few months been like since the book uh, released? Well, I think when I was writing this book, there was always a, a kind of a a joke I made that when I would talk to people about this book and tell them I was writing about book about parking, people either had, people usually had one of two reactions. Either they said, that sounds really boring, basically. <laughs> or they tell you their story. Yeah. Or they would say, oh my God, parking, you won't believe what happened in my town. And uh, I guess I'm proud to say that the second group of people seems to outnumber the first, <laughs> at least in the booking departments of radio stations and uh, the assignment desks of major magazines. <laughs> no, absolutely. Because, you know, I work in parking and I've got to the point where sometimes if I'm not in the mood to talk about it, I'll just say, I'm in economic development or something. And they usually just like, oh, cool. And they change the subject. But when I say parking, it's, oh, you're the reason, or I got this parking ticket or, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It is definitely a, a conversation starter for sure. So uh, most of our listeners, you know, very familiar with the parking industry, unlike maybe your typical interview, like I heard you on 99 Invisible and some other great ones. You know, we know about parking minimums. We have our own parking register stories. So I just thought it'd be cool to kind of talk about you know, what it was like uh, researching this this book, what was like writing this book, uh, maybe how you got the idea to start writing this book. So I don't know, just kind of give us some background on, on the idea and, and how you got going with it. Sure. Well, this book has many different origin points, which I'm sure is the story with all books. And eventually you put together enough individual anecdotes or insights about a subject that you say, you know what, I'm getting into the territory where I feel like this could be explored at length. And that's what happened to me with parking. I mean, I don't think I ever thought seriously about parking as a subject until I read The Death and Life of Great American Cities by Jane Jacobs. And Mm. in that book, she has a chapter about border vacuums and about the idea that large parking lots create this sort of empty space in the city, uh, not just within the confines of the parking lot, but they sort of have a kind of a, a halo effect uh, that permeates the urban landscape around them where people really just do not like to be next to parking lots. 
And I read that when I was probably 17 or 18, and it really stuck with me. Obviously, it took me much longer than that to decide to write this book. But I think that was the first moment where I thought, parking, this is this is a, a real subject of of inquiry and study and something that changes the way cities work and and, and is worth paying attention to. Man, you were reading The Death and Life of Great American Cities as a 16 and 17-year-old. I'm very shocked you're not in, in the parking industry. I guess maybe you are now. <laughs> you're uh, I am now. <laughs> so I should say, I should say it was assigned in my high school history class, and each person in the class had to take on one chapter from the book and read ah. that chapter and sort of uh, present on it to the class what was going on. And so I guess it was actually really good fortune because I didn't read the whole book. I guess I just read the part about parking lots. In all seriousness, I mean, it's kind of amazing that you were assigned that chapter of that book because now you're a staff writer at Slate. You know, you talk about uh, parking, transportation, urban policy, housing. So kudos to that teacher. I don't know if that sparked an interest or you just ended up and ha- by, by chance, but that's uh, pretty cool that you ended up in the industry. Yeah, I think, I mean, like, it goes to, I think that's a, a point that people often make that teachers they have when they were young assign them things or tell them things or give them pieces of advice that stick with them their whole lives. And I guess that was the case for me. Yeah. So what were some, uh, you know, the most shocking things you learned or didn't expect kind of what, what surprised you when talking with people in the industry, talking with Donald Shoup, researching this, what, what, what was something that you had no idea was the way it was? Well, I started writing about city issues and years before I started working on this book. And and a lot of the topics that I was coming across had to do with transportation policy on city streets. And one of the issues that comes up there, which is not exclusively about parking, although parking is part of it, is the fact that our streets are so allocated to cars at the expense of so many other ways of getting around. And that was an insight that I had from working on my stories. And in my head, I sort of thought that the the structural subsidies for car ownership would be something that people in the parking industry would, would be behind because they park cars for a living. And I sort of thought that they were part of that scene. Like, like I, in my head, I thought their, their car politics would be sort of like, I don't know, car dealers or something like that. But actually, I found they had really nuanced and complicated views about the way cities thought about parking. I mean, the most obvious thing is, obviously, in hindsight, it was obvious, but I didn't realize at the time, people who run lots and garages are not in favor of the sloppy free parking for everybody situation on city streets. I mean, they think this public space ought to be properly priced at at market price and, and based on, you know, the value that it has really for all the other uses of street space. And, and they're in favor of getting cars off the street and into their garages, which is a, comes from a place of self-interest perhaps, but I think creates this funny alliance between them and, you know, the bicycle, bus rapid transit, transportation alternatives people. Not that either group has really ever been in the same room together, but um, should they find themselves there, maybe they would find they have a lot to agree on. And this is also true, by the way, of all the people who manage parking at institutions, I mean, people who manage parking for universities and hospitals and all this stuff, because they, you know, there are obviously trying to, you know, use that parking as a source of revenue, but they also recognize that you can only build so much parking. And at a certain point, you do have to encourage people to get somewhere 
um, using alternate means of transportation. And, and I was surprised to, I mean, you know, again, in hindsight, it seems intuitive and obvious, but I was uh, surprised to hear that from them as well. Yeah. I, I usually talk about when I family and ask why we charge or why there's meters. I usually do the Ben and Jerry analysis where they have a, once a year, they have the free cone day where like a national ice cream day or whatever, everyone mm-hmm. gets a free scoop. And I remember with my boys having the night where they, they wanted, Hey, free ice cream. Can we go? We happened to be downtown. I looked at the line, was out the door, like a hundred people long. And I said, you know, I, I'd rather come back tomorrow and buy you ice cream, pay for something and not have to wait in line. It kind of, you know, I was like, wow, that, that's, that's meters instead of driving the city and hunting and trying to find that free spot. I'd rather charge and, and pay to park. But yeah, it's interesting because we're all, I would say most people in the parking uh, profession don't speak for everyone, but I, I think they would say like, yeah, this is our livelihood. We we want to charge for park, but we also understand kind of uh, how it's ruining cities. All the the parking loss, the heat island effect. The you know we're in support of other means of transportation, but still, Phil, there's a there's a need. I think you talked about. I think that was your book. It's been a few weeks since I read it, but you talked about how we're trying to push ourselves into the mobility category, and, and hmm. I would say that's we're trying to adapt and evolve and find other ways to blend mobility needs and last minute mile with parking. But mm-hmm. uh, what about some of the favorite people you you interviewed or spent time with? I know in your acknowledgments, you talk about Donald Shoup. He's been on the podcast and I was also shocked how uh, gracious he was with time. And uh, he's, uh, I would send him emails throughout my whole career to always respond and say something nice. And I think you, you saw that too, but maybe tell some stories about some of the people you interviewed or spent time with that you enjoyed. I cannot say enough nice things about Donald Troop, who is just so generous and supportive. And I think we have all met people in our field who are have gotten ahead and gotten to the top and are guarded with their time and see people who follow in their footsteps as potentially encroaching on their turf. And he is just the opposite. He is so nice and encouraging of every younger person who is interested in this subject and uh, can't say enough nice things about him. And, you know, when you're, when you're writing a book like this, obviously its success depends on the generosity of everybody who speaks to you because you need to convince people to give up some of their time to teach you about what they're working on and what they're doing and how their business works. And in that context, well, I'm grateful to everybody who spoke with me uh, for the book, but in the realm of parking, maybe I'll single out John Hammerschlag, the garage poetry. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Who owns the poetry garage and many other garages besides. And when I expressed an interest to him, I mean, he's got this like pretty gruff, no nonsense demeanor, not very shoopy in in that sense. But nevertheless, I said, look, I want to make, I want to make sure I got this right. (laughs) Uh, Tell me how this works. And I said, you know, you just hop on the phone or something. And he said, no, 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 no. And this is, by the way, during the middle of COVID. And he said, no, no, no. You come, you come to my garage. Oh, like, wow. if I'm going to give you a lesson, we're going to do it right. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. <laughs> and just walking around there. And um, John not only manages the garage on an operations basis, but also was involved in building it and a number of other downtown Chicago garages. And so he really knows everything. I mean, he knows exactly why the floor plates look the way they do, you know, how the concrete gets poured, um, every, every bit of it. And so 
that was a real eye-opening experience to to hang out with him in the garage. No, that's great. And you may have started a little feud. I saw he was uh, <laughs> he was taking shots at another I, vendor. And I'm I curious think... to see how that plays out at the next uh, trade show. <laughs> oh, I don't think I started that feud. I think that <laughs> no, feud yeah. has been underway for some time. <laughs> uh, no, I loved it. That's great stuff. So uh, let, maybe while we're at it, let's talk about kind of the creative structure of the book. I, you know, it's seemed like from reading it, Again, it's been a few weeks, but you know, you kind of talk about the history, kind of the mess it created, and then you jump into the business side, the money side, which again was my favorite part when you talk about the MPA conference that I was at, and uh, uh, that was interesting to imagine you just walking around taking notes and interviewing people, and then you kind of jump into maybe how to fix it, the future. I, I don't know, kind of tell how about that structure uh, came uh, about, or anything about the kind of writing style you chose to tell the story. Sure. Well, I think on the on the style front, the obvious challenge that confronts anyone writing about parking is how to make it interesting for uh, a lay audience um, who hasn't taken an interest in it before. And I think we we already talked a little bit about how everybody has a parking story, but at the same time, you do have to confront the fact that your main character is a nine by eighteen square of uh, asphalt. So. <laughs> not the most charismatic uh, <laughs> yeah. main character, but nevertheless, I, I think, you know, my approach was um, I'm going to have to find people who in, in whose lives parking has played a, a sufficiently significant role that I can talk to them and about them for long enough that their stories and their personalities will help carry the narrative forward and keep people interested who might otherwise um, not uh, really think twice about this subject. So. It took a while to decide, I guess, that I had gotten the best stories that I was going to get. Because as you know, in this in this business, if you, it seems like every week somebody comes to you and they say, well, I, have I told you the story about what happened with this apartment <laughs> complex or whatever it is? Yeah. And at a certain point, you, you just have to decide, all right, I've gotten some pretty good ones. I'm going to stop it here. And you better believe that, like, since the book has come out, people have been like, oh, did you did you know that there's this whole, like, somebody told me the other day that there's a whole song in German, apparently a massive hit, all about looking for a parking space. So, sorry I didn't that's, get that's, to that one. That's going to be frustrating once it finally <laughs> publishes and then you get some ideas. I saw one yesterday where a, a valet attendant was valeting uh, in a parking lot and there was a drive-by shooting and the bullet hit his cell phone battery, which was in his chest pocket and saved his life and i was like man there's so many stories like that that i wish i would have known before but that's that's really cool and then i mean to to the to your other question about structure i think i thought you know first things first you gotta set the stakes tell people why they should care about this why it matters and uh and then and then sort of explain like uh what's happening and why is this book being written now and i think there's a lot of serious thinking and reform and activism going or going on um on this topic whether it's about street parking and parklets and streeteries and all that stuff or it's about parking minimums and trying to build places that are less automobile dependent or it's about electric vehicle charging all this stuff so that i thought would be the second half so the first so i think of it as sort of a a narrative arc in which we descend into the problem and begin to understand how we built ourselves into a into a bad situation and then the second half we sort of come out of that. And then as far as the business of parking goes, I wasn't really sure where to put it. So I put it in the middle. (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, I don't know if you've um, well, I'm I'm pretty positive you've read it probably Tom Vanderbilt's Traffic, but it it's kind of reminded me of that, and then like with the Gladwell Malcolm Gladwell type of I don't I don't know it was just a really fun good easy read I recommend all our listeners get it especially in the in the parking uh, parking industry I see this like everyone has their copy of uh, of the high cost of free parking in their offices I could see this one sitting right on top of that in all our offices across the parking industry. So go out and buy this book today. Henry, how can, uh, what's like the best way you recommend for uh, listeners to get a hold of the book? Well, I always encourage people to buy the book at their local bookstore and support their their, their local business if if they can. And that's usually an option. They'll, they'll order it for you if you ask. I wouldn't be so presumptuous as to say that I have that many things to teach people who work in parking for a living, but perhaps this could be a book that you give to your relatives so they finally understand what it is that you're jabbering on about all day. Well, first of all, going to your local bookstore, you're probably supporting the parking industry as well instead of buying it. <laughs> so, so yes, go to the your downtown Main Street bookstore, if I may. Pay but, the parking meter. <laughs> pay the parking meter and buy the book. Um, but no, definitely you're not going to want to miss this. And I think you're spot on because you know I have my parents still think I'm like a cashier or valet, valet attendant. They have no idea what the, <laughs> I think your book said like 136 billion. I can't remember the exact number, but it's a, it's a crazy industry. And it's been, uh, it's been hot, man. I just saw it on like the New York times. Like they do kind of weekly, like nine, 10 books we recommend and yours was on it. So I'm so happy for you. Thank you for representing our, our industry. And also by the powers vested in me as the host and, and, uh, producer of the parking podcast, I now pronounce you a, an honorary parking professional. And as you said in the book, once you're in, you can never get out. So uh, Henry, <laughs> congratulations on joining the parking industry. Thank you. I guess that's a thank you. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased with that recognition. And uh, I, uh, if the last couple of months are any guide, I'll be talking about this subject for the rest of my life. No, that's awesome, man. And so Maybe just a quick, uh, when you're not uh, parking or writing about parking and urban policy, I don't know, give the listeners a little bit about who you are. What do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm, I'm a big uh, bike rider, which may not surprise people who have read the book or followed my work, but um, I think riding a bicycle is a real gateway drug to thinking differently about American land use and transportation policy. And uh, actually, the repeal of parking minimums in California uh, happened in part because a state senator from the uh, Los Angeles area who had previously opposed the legislation during COVID um, started riding his bike around. And that was one of the things that led him to change his mind about it. So um, that's something that I do personally, and I encourage everybody else to do it too, because it's good exercise and it's a lot of fun and helps you see the world in a new way. Wow, that's great. I'm a cyclist too. So I did not know that story though. That's pretty awesome. So uh Henry, what's the best way for listeners to follow you or uh, engage with you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Henry Grabar. Uh, send me an email if you have any feedback about this or the book at henry.grabar at slate.com. All right. And I'll put that information in the show notes. Henry, thank you so much. I know you've been very busy with, with your uh, publicity tour, but I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with the parking industry, your cult followers here. And uh, again, we're going to spread this book like wildfire. Thanks, Henry, for joining the podcast. Have a great week. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
This episode is brought to you by Parker Technology, the customer experience solution of choice in the parking industry. Parker's solution puts a virtual ambassador in every lane to help parking guests pay and get on their way in under a minute. Parker helps capture revenue, provides better customer service, enables your staff to focus on other on-site tasks, and keeps traffic moving, all according to your business rules. With the Parker solution, you'll also enjoy access to real-time call data and recordings. Learn more at helpmeparker.com slash parkingpodcast. This episode is brought to you by Taz Technology. Since 1993, Taz has developed innovative text-based mobile solutions designed to streamline operations, increase efficiency, and improve overall customer experiences. My favorite is the ability to pay for parking without having to download an app. Taz Solutions includes SMS valet, text to park, permit to park, and much more. I think every organization or city or university should be adding Taz to their payment options arsenal. Learn more about Tez at tezhq.com. This episode is brought to you by RiseTech. RiseTech's Verge data analytics and reporting platform delivers a powerful management solution with integration to your existing technologies. I've actually seen this and it's pretty cool. I hope you check it out. Learn why some of the largest cities in the United States, such as New York City, are using RiseTech to solve their parking and transportation challenges at risetechglobal.com forward slash parking podcast.